Hello and welcome to this episode of the Dallas Christian College Leadership Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Spees, the Director of Advancement here at DCC, and we want to thank you for joining us today as we continue in our series of podcasts that focus on current topics and events that are shaping our society, the world of education, and the local church. Joining us for this episode is Dr. Donnell Franklin. Those of you who are familiar with the history of DCC know that Donnell came to the college in 1979 after she graduated from Lincoln Christian College. She taught music and worship classes at DCC and also directed the choir and was very instrumental in growing the Saltines program, which is where I first had the opportunity to, to serve and work with her and Mark Worley back in 1987. Danelle, it's great to have you today. It's good to be here. Thanks for the invitation. Back in 1993, Danelle transitioned to Ozark Christian College, where she continued to teach music and lead choirs. In 2001, she happened into a fortuitous visit on the campus of Lincoln Christian Seminary that led to being called to offer a master's degree in worship there. She moved back to Lincoln in 2003 and still resides there. Danelle recently retired from her role at Lincoln and joined the staff at First Christian Church of Clinton, Illinois, where she leads worship and directs the church choir. And in addition, she serves as the academic dean and teaches at the Robert E. Weber Institute for Worship Studies. All total, Dr. Franklin has taught more than 42 years in Christian higher education. That's a lot of years. Wow. <laughs> and I probably feel tired talking about <laughs> exactly. it. Exactly. <right? laughs> and probably most important for those of us who live here in Dallas. Danelle Franklin is a huge Dallas Cowboys fan. This is our year. This is our year. We say that every year. Okay. <laughs> Helping to guide our discussion with Dr. Franklin is the voice of the DCC Leadership Podcast, Mark Worley, Vice President of Institutional Advancement. So, Mark, I know you and Danelle have a long history of relationship working together, and I'm glad that we get to uh, to have this discussion. So I'm going to turn it over to you and let you facilitate yeah, our discussion. Yeah, today. thanks, Scott. And thank you for coordinating this, and thanks, Danelle, for taking time out of a vacation. That's right. Happy uh, to be here. <laughs> I don't. I'll tell I you what. That translated well on the. I mean, it, happy it, to be there here. There we go. <laughs> I got to tell you, you, you know, I, I think of people who have, who have taught me, you know, about worship and what worship means, and uh, I mean, Scott uh, could say the same that you you've taught us a lot uh, about worship, and so it's really great to to have you uh, here just to share with. Uh, with our audience thank you for that and thanks for all you've done for the cause of worship and so today that obviously that's your uh, special area so we're going to talk about worship as formative and uh, I'm looking forward to hearing uh, you know what you have to say about some of these uh, some of these questions so uh, let's give you that I mean let's just throw it to you uh, when, when we think of worship I mean, especially a corporate worship. We think of Sundays and the gathering together of, uh, of that. You know, Hebrews 10 says, don't forsake the assembling of yourself. And we say that in a negative sense, but there's a positive sense of that. So, so how does what we do on Sunday really impact the, the rest of our week? I mean, how, how does that uh, theologically and uh, practically, how does that impact us so, so deeply? Well, most of us who have grown up in the kind of churches we've grown up in um, have sort of been led to believe that what happens on Sunday is largely about teaching. So you get in your car on Sunday and you say to your kids, what did you learn today? 
and we still do that we still think if we heard a sermon then we go home with these three points from the sermon and that's been our sunday gathering yeah we think of the the focal point of right. the sunday experience is the sermon what do you think of the sermon how exactly. did the, ser- the preacher preach you know those kinds of things yeah right but historically the sunday gathering has been more about how were you formed today and so it no, no offense to any preachers out there, but it takes a lot more than one sermon to help people be transformed and become more like Jesus. So what I'm trying to um, help people understand is that every single thing we do on Sunday has some kind of formational aspect. It leads us to not just learn more about Christ, but to be more like Christ. It requires us to think about our life, not just that hour on Sunday, but what happens on Monday. So one of the, one of the questions I, I always like my students to answer early on is, if you were standing in the back of the church on Sunday and shaking people's hands, and you asked the question, well, what just happened today? Um, what would they say? And the answer is always, uh, I liked the sermon, I enjoyed the music, or I got to see my friends. Those are like the three top things. So what I would like people to say is, I grew closer to Jesus today. Uh, I'm going to change something about my life this week because of what happened in this gathering today. And not just because the preacher told me that, although that's part of it, but because I said a prayer or I sang a song or I fellowshiped with the people here so that everything that happens on Sunday has an outgrowth on Monday through Saturday. It doesn't just stop there. And in a sense, we're helping people see what it's like to be Christ-like all week long by every single thing that we do on Sunday. Okay, so so maybe give an example of that. I mean, like what what elements uh, of the Sunday gathering are transformative? I mean, how does that work? Uh, you know, I, I think of what happens, you know, announcements or uh, the singing or uh, prelude or communion or offering, you know, the, the different elements of that. How, how does, uh, so what right. elements? Uh, well, I'm going to steal a, a, a quote from Will Willimon. Um, he's talking about what, uh, I think he's talking about the contemporary versus traditional music controversy. Right. And he says, the real question is not whether the song is traditional or contemporary. The real question is what kind of disciple is being formed by singing that song? So I, I think if worship leaders started to ask that question when they plan these elements, instead of, is this the latest, greatest song, or is this, you know, is this hip, or is the, this uh, something that's going to, uh, entertain people start with the, the better question of how is this going to form people so it's almost the reverse of deciding these things form people as saying how these things do form people if that makes any sense so a song for example has to be about Jesus we know this because the primary reason we gather is to tell the story of the gospel so it has to be about the work of Jesus Christ and when it is, it helps us to put ourselves in the position of understanding what Jesus did on my behalf. So then that impacts the way I live the rest of the week. And I'm going, am I going to um, go to work on Monday and think about what Jesus did for me and how I live like Jesus or not? And a lot of times it's not. So the song becomes a part of who we are and a part of our transformative process, not just something we do and throw away and don't think about again until next week. Okay, so so when you're planning you know, a worship time, mm-hmm. a corporate worship time, where do you begin? Um, I begin 
with usually the sermon text because in our context that's the easy way to begin mm -hmm. but i don't plan this the service around the sermon i say this sermon does this part of the gospel story how am i going to tell the rest of the gospel story yeah. so for example we just did a whole series on hebrews well, there's a lot of the Old Testament in Hebrews. So I'm like, how do I help people understand? It doesn't come up in the sermon so much. How do I help people understand the wholeness of the gospel? Mm -hmm. So we would read a scripture from the Old Testament. We did um, several readings from different covenants, right? So that people are starting to put these things together in a way that doesn't just help didactically understand it, but helps us see, oh, I'm a part of that covenant too. And it goes all the way back to Abraham and Moses. And so what does it mean to be a part of a covenant when I'm living my life all week long? What does that mean for me? So then we might have a prayer that reinforces covenant language, obedience, loyalty. And then I'm saying that prayer along with everybody else. We might have a confession prayer that says part of the story is that we're sinners. And the good news is important but if we don't know the bad news <laughs> then it's not as impactful yeah. and so i will start with that one little sermon text and then spread things out to where the whole of the gospel is told but each of the elements is designed for a congregational participatory way in which it gives us <laughs> impact not just knowledge how do you change the thinking of the 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 churchgoer well, it's not easy. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, my current church, a few people are still confused as to why we would say a written prayer or a prayer of confession. It's not been normal for them. But but what I what I tell them is, <laughs> historically, we're we're the minority. Like they'll want to say, well, we don't do that in our church. Well, historically, it's always been done in the church all the way back to the new testament that you have said prayers together and confessed together and done these things together so we're really bringing that back into the 21st century and i also tell them this is not about your preference but about how you want to interact with jesus yourself mm -hmm. and you know it's an old analogy but you've got to <laughs> eat the broccoli along with the dessert right so <laughs> you, 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 you tell, I mean, John Whitley talks about a balanced diet of songs that we sing on Sunday. And so I tell them the balanced diet isn't necessarily things that you just like. And it might not be um, enjoyable sometimes. Nobody likes to say a confession prayer, probably. But it brings to the forefront those ways that God is speaking to you. Mm -hmm. And so I try to open them up to the possibility that God might speak in more ways than just those things they've been used to all of their lives. Yeah, I think it's interesting in Acts 4, you know, they, they pray a corporate prayer. We don't know who's praying. Right. So it seems like they are all praying there. And so it's kind of an interesting concept of what was happening there and even in Acts 1 when they were all together in one place. Yep lifting up prayers to God. Well, how did that work? How did that happen? So, yeah, it's interesting because uh, we, we in the modern church, more, think more of a perfunctory prayer. Right. 
you know, oh, thanks, God. You know, you promised where two or three are gathered together in my, which I hate that. Okay. Oh, oh, yeah. That's our sermon on Sunday is why that's not the right interpretation. <laughs> oh, that's great. That's, that's the truth. True story. Uh, folks, that's out, out of Matthew 18. And it's always taken out of context, which drives me nuts. Uh, watch First Christian Church, Clinton, yeah. Illinois, this Sunday morning. And you'll get the answers you seek. <laughs> there you go. Or listen to the, the, or go on and watch it online. Right. That's what yeah. I meant to say. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, well, the, one of the primary complaints I get about written prayers is you can't make me pray. Like, you can't tell me what to say in my prayer. Right. And so I'll say, well, then don't sing any of these songs either. Yes. Because <laughs> yes, you don't mind singing these words to these songs, which a lot of them are prayer language and prayer songs. That's right. That's okay with you. Yeah. But you can't actually say the words of prayer, which often are right out of Scripture. I, I, we, we were singing this song the other day, uh, you know, a, a church group. And I was like, I don't agree with that at all. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like, oh, and everybody's singing it, but I don't know if they really believe it. Right. You know, and, and I mean, there's some songs like that, like I Surrender All. Really? Mm-hmm. Do you? I don't know. Yeah. Uh, it, it's pretty powerful prayer. Yes. That's what that is. And it's the, the point is that if I, even if I sing I Surrender All on Sunday, if I just leave it on the table, I didn't really mean it. Right. But if I get back on Wednesday night and I'm faced with some kind of challenge in my Christian walk, then I surrender all is going through my heart, then I'm much more likely to face the challenge the right way. Yeah. And that's that's what formative worship is about. You know, a guy I, I love to read is A.W. Tozier, and mm-hmm. uh, Tozier uses hymns uh, all the time in his uh, speaking and in his writing. And I think it's really pretty interesting you know, to look at the depth of what is said. Uh, I mean, just like it is well with my soul. What a phenomenal uh, passage. So what about modern church? Are, are, are we in an era where Christians are seeking deeper worship practices or are we pretty shallow or I, I don't know? I absolutely believe that we are, we are now have a generation that is trying to find something deeper than what they have seen in contemporary uh i don't mean style contemporary style i just mean in today's worship and so i've talked to a lot of younger people college age people who are kind of like i i wish i knew more of those hymns why don't i know those hymns and uh i i i'm it's almost to the point where we're going to lose young people (laughs) from the evangelical church to churches that do have deeper liturgical roots if we can't find a way to uh, express those liturgical roots in a contemporary way. But I think we can, it, but, but it, it takes that, uh, like you just said, like talking people into that as being important. So I, I definitely think we're on a trajectory where uh, kind of a surface, kind of what we do on Sunday is not what people are gonna be looking for. I was talking to a young lady uh, oh, several weeks ago and um, I said, man, you, you know, I, I mentioned the song Amazing Grace. And she said, oh, I don't know that song. <laughs> I was like, how wow. did you, how did you miss <laughs> that, that is song? The, that is the best known hymn in the world. In the That's world, the in the world. And I was like, how did you miss that? And she said, I don't know. I just, I, I've never, I don't think I've ever heard that. And so I started singing it for her. She said, yep, I've never heard that song. I was like, wow. how did you miss that? And so uh, she said, boy, I really like it. I said, of course you like wow. it. You know, millions of people have liked that. But yeah. the, the 
anyway, I was just stunned that uh, she hadn't been exposed or, right. you know. I'm in a world now in my church, It's we're trying, our goal is intergenerational worship because we have a number of el- older saints in our church and they really want to sing hymns, but we we want them to teach the hymns to their children and, gra- and their grandchildren. Yeah. They, we want them to be the catalyst for that. Mm. And um, children are much more likely to to not care whether it's <laughs> this old or that old or whatever. I led worship uh, a few months ago at a church in Illinois that was 185 years old, and it was their anniversary, and they asked me not to lead any songs that were written after their church was founded. <laughs> So, <laughs> which was 185 years ago. Uh-huh. So that cuts out all of the uh, 1900s, like uh, gospel hymns and those things. And we were singing Isaac Watts and Charles Wesley. And I think, I think Amazing Grace made it just under. Um, so it was a great exercise to see if, if our founding fathers of our churches sang, that's what they would have sung. Mm. And so if you can convince people who are historically minded of that, we're, we're going back to our roots. We're not, we're not losing them. We're going back there and we're bringing that into our future and our children's children. And that's the legacy one want to leave, that they have this depth. And it, of, of all music across the landscape of church history. Yeah, yeah uh, that's interesting. You're saying that 185 years old. Uh, this past Sunday, I was preaching in a church that was the oldest church in Texas. And, man, they they were singing all hymns, but it was really beautiful. Mm-hmm. And they had uh, a woman who was playing the piano who was amazing. She couldn't read music, but she could chord it. And she apparently had been in, oh, it was phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Uh, just the... Well, you, the minister there said, Danelle, I don't know how well they're going to sing. We're not a singing church, right? I said, thanks for inviting me. Um, so we started, I think it was a worship the king, you know, a worship the king. They brought the roof down. Yep. They just hadn't sung those church, those songs in so long. Right. And once you give them permission, I mean, it was uh, it was awesome, <laughs> the, the sound that comes out of those people's mouths. So, you, you said something a minute ago that I think is... And, and you and I have talked about this a lot. The we want the grandparents teaching yes. their younger and and you know to go back to the the inclusion of elements. The the criticism I hear most of the time is, well, our people don't understand that, oh, so yeah. we so mm-hmm. we just need to get rid of it. Mm-hmm. And you know, I've I've even had situations here with <laughs> with similar liturgical practices or you know ancient practices and and i said but but part of our job is to teach (laughs) that i mean if if they don't understand it then we need to explain why it is significant why there is a historical precedent why it was included in the early church as opposed to just throwing it out because we don't understand it. my favorite was how can we sing about a bulwark if they don't know what a bulwark is well tell them a bulwark <laughs> is a wall now let's sing a mighty fortress is our god it's it's that simple it is yeah. that uh, simple brian chapel has a great book called christ-centered worship and he talks about worship leaders developing rubrics for a sentence that you say before a song or a prayer you know like um so from this very beginning, the church has been praying as a corporate body. We do this with one voice. Let's pray this prayer together. 
Yes. It's simple. And it is, it's kind of the irony of where we are today is you have to teach in order to be formative, right? Yeah. But it's a simple kind of formational sentence. And if they, it, won't, it won't work if they just hear it once. But if they hear it for a year, <laughs> then it starts to sink in. Yep. Yeah, it's interesting. We're doing that here at DCC um, <clears throat> because uh, DCC is ethnic, ethnically mm-hmm. diverse, which mm-hmm. we deeply love. Right. But that also means that they were denominationally diverse. And so uh, Scott has been preaching that very thing, you know, for chapel uh, to, to help explain to them, to the students, what we're doing and why we do it. And yeah, I think my, that's... My pet peeve is let's stand in worship. And I said, you, you, you now have 180 different interpretations of that. <laughs> and none of them are what you're thinking. Mm-hmm. And, and that's where I, I said, just exactly what you did. T- today, we have the opportunity to praise the creator of the universe. Okay, well, now I... Oh, God created the world. Yes, he did. And, and now we're going to worship him. So in just that one phrase, we've done a right. little bit of teaching. And, right. and, and I agree with that. You know, yeah. Bruce is in this room. He's involved with our chapel services as well. That's I once heard someone say, if you're going to give someone a microphone, they better have a brain to go with it. And I think that <laughs> <laughs> we've done a lot of harm with our Sunday gatherings by not saying the appropriate thing. So like our nomenclature, we're already worshiping. Just because we started the music doesn't mean we've started our, our worship. And the sermon is also worship, and the prayers are also worship. Mm-hmm. And guess what? When you go home today, you're also still worshiping. Right. So the nomenclature probably needs to be changed and a particular understanding of the cyclical nature of how worship works, which is it never stops. And so, you know, we're gathered today around the throne of God, God the, the, the heavenly beings are already worshiping God. We're just joining them in this time, in this place. I always start, when I welcome people, I always start with, we are the body of believers known as First Christian Church. Not, welcome to worship today, right? Because we just happen to be here as a group worshiping together, but we came into worship and we're leaving worship. Corporate fellowship. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I, I... Danelle has a vacation she has to get to. <laughs> <Yeah>. and <laughs> I'm going to go to pray for the Cowboys somewhere <laughs> in the city. They need the prayer. <laughs> wow. Well, thank you. And, and uh, for those of you that, that joined us for our Saltines reunion and uh, celebration of 45 years a few weeks ago, we, we thank Danelle for her contribution. Yes. And, uh, you know, yeah, it's been 45 years. It's unbelievable. But... Yes, and I'm one of those who learned a tremendous amount about worship back in the the 80s when I was uh, on staff at Central Christian Church in Richardson and knew nothing. <laughs> and uh, Danelle helped with that, as did Mark. And so thank you for taking the time and, Thanks for having and me. opening our eyes to that. If you would like more information about especially a master's or doctoral degree program, Danelle would love to talk to you about that, and uh, you can reach out to her uh, through the website iws.edu. That's the Institute for Worship Studies. Uh, I've gone through a lot of that program, and I can endorse it. I learned an enormous amount, and it's it's not just for people who are musicians. It's those who are uh, have, a, have a heart for worship, worship as a formative uh, function. And uh, I would encourage you to check that out. If you want more information about our worship arts program here at Dallas Christian College, we'd love to talk to you about that as well. You can find more at www.dallas.edu.
Thank you again, Mark Donnell. We pray that all of you have been uh, encouraged and blessed by what you heard today. Realize that wherever you are right now, you are worshiping. And we pray that you have a great day of worship as you continue to, uh, to walk along this journey in life. Take care, stay safe. We'll talk to you soon.